The cop. Full surveillance. Round the clock. The criminal. Assume they got our phones. Assume they got our houses. Assume they got us. The obsession. The bank is worth the risk. The confrontation. Give me all you got! On December 15th, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, a Michael Mann film. Heat, rated R, starts Friday, December 15th at a theater near you. Welcome to the House of Cinema podcast, and in the house today, we are diving into our first Michael Mann film, and joining me today is the Michael Mann aficionado himself, Nate from All Things Reviewed. Welcome back, Nate. How are you feeling today, jumping into 1995's Heat? You know, for me, discussing Heat is the juice. So I'm pretty jazzed, <laughs> pretty jazzed to be here. Glad to have you back. Last time you were on, we discussed uh, Super 8, which is a kind of a underrated movie. I think we both agreed. Oh, yeah. Uh, but now we're talking about Heat, which is maybe not underrated, but uh, properly rated. And we're going to get into mm-hmm. it a lot. Before we jump into the episode, though, I don't know if last time I asked you this, so I'm going to ask you now. Okay. Because we asked all of our guests this. But what's a, what's a fun, hot, controversial movie take that you have that you think could uh, rile up some some okay. of our listeners. I got a good one. And I'll be real, I'm not typically a contrarian. In fact, like I tend to agree with the mass on a lot of different films. Not necessarily yeah. man's films, and we can get into that later. Um, but I think the biggest one I got is, I think Infinity War. Now, this is just Infinity War, not Endgame. But I think okay. Infinity War is pretty terrible. Wow, interesting. I'm a big Marvel guy. I'm a huge comic book guy like it should be exactly for me but i just cannot stand that film and i've seen it multiple times seen it five times and my opinion has kind of gone down every single time i've seen it which um Uh i didn't expect because i actually liked it the first time i saw it but um every time i go back to it and look look at it both from a fan perspective and also a critical lens which i try and be try and balance that because the last thing i want to be is like pretentious douche trying to <laughs> trying to <laughs> over over analyze a critique a marvel movie like it is what it is but, yeah yeah but man. you also don't want to be the opposite end where you're like blindly uh, you know allegiance to mcu no matter yeah, what they do exactly exactly and for me i just i mean obviously i don't want to go off on a whole tangent but i could <laughs> no it's fair it's fair you know infinity war i will admit is probably the one mcu movie i've seen less than two times i feel like mm-hmm. i've seen all the other ones more than two times just because they've been you know the easy to watch or they're fun to watch or mm-hmm. they're on i feel like infinity war is the one where it's like yeah I saw it when it came out i saw it on like tv once and that's it like it just doesn't really the film is an example whereas like lord of the rings is an example of brilliant pacing over all these different locations and characters and where infinity war is like the opposite of that it's so spread out <laughs> that you kind of feel like these characters almost have nothing to do with each other until Endgame, which is, and I really like Endgame. I think Endgame is good. And yeah, I, yeah. Obvi- it's kind of hard for me to not enjoy Endgame, especially with that ending. But yeah, the, yeah. the pacing is all over the place. Focus is put on the wrong things. Like Thor's storyline is literally so pointless considering he does all that only to um, it not mean anything. So it's like, cool, you wasted 45 minutes. There is a lot of the movie I forget even happens. Like I forget how big of a, chunk of the movie is mm-hmm. thor trying to get his hammer rebuilt yeah. with 
Peter Dinklage in the movie that you know, a lot of people just forget he's in the movie. I know. Um, like, I like Peter Dinklage, but yeah, no. I totally agree with you. Infinity War, it's not that I dislike it. I just haven't seen it in so long where I couldn't even make a, a really good opinion on it. But I, I have seen a lot of people who say it's just maybe not that great. I've seen people on the other side saying it's better than Endgame. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a polarizing movie, to say the least. Yeah. Well, this episode is nothing on the MCU. Instead, we're going to be talking <laughs> about Michael Mann. Uh, you are a big Michael Mann fan. I can say that. That may be an understatement. I don't know. A uh, slight, slight understatement. But yes, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a massive um, fiend for Mann. Okay, well, that's perfect because Heat, obviously, maybe Michael Mann's most popular, maybe his best movie. Mm-hmm. I, I personally have seen uh, like four of his filmography, yeah. so I'm not maybe the most well-versed in Michael Mann filmography, so you'll be carrying me in this episode. <laughs> Well, you, you're you correct. It's definitely his most popular. I, I think that and Collateral. It's between those two um, in terms of pop culture notoriety and relevance. And Collateral is the one movie where I need to rewatch it. I haven't seen it since it came out. And I and I think when I came out, I was just... Uh, I was a contrarian. I was young, like, uh, I don't like popular things. And I was <laughs> just like didn't like collateral and i'm looking back I'm like i don't know why i didn't like it i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure if i watched it now i would love it and so i'm gonna have to give it a second chance yeah absolutely and i feel like that actually is um is a lot of the reason why man's later films like mammy vice and black hat really just haven't been appreciated because i think those films are like incredible and we may talk about it later but i feel like <laughs> he was so cool for so long that when he continued to be cool they're just like no i just don't want this anymore and because he was kind of like actively deconstructing his style or whatever after post heat collateral and i don't know because i mean black hat was a huge failure and no one saw that so it kind of feels like man isn't relevant anymore when he's in my opinion maybe one of the five best directors of all time obviously it's totally completely subjective but I mean, what he's accomplished is kind of incredible. Well, perfect. I mean, this is a great segue because we're going to get into a lot of conversations about man and his other filmography. So let's jump into 1995's Heat. And now, our feature presentation. Released December 15th of 1995. Is this a Christmas movie? I don't know. It didn't take place during Christmas, but released December 15th. But, I mean, if you want to crank heat up on Christmas, I say there's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that? All right. I mean, if people are cranking up Die Hard, I'll crank up heat. Yeah. I'm, I guess we won't get into that Die Hard conversation. It's a different Yeah, save that for, for the another episode. another pod. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by Michael Mann, as we've said a hundred times, this is a follow-up movie to Manhunter in 86 and Last of Mohicans in 92. The cast, really large cast. I'm going to try to stick it to the important characters as best as possible. And Ooh. notable actors, Al Pacino as Lieutenant Vincent Hanna, Robert De Niro as Neil McCauley, Val Kilmer as Chris, Debus Haysbert, a.k.a. the Allstate guy, uh, as Don Breeding. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was not in safe hands. I was about to say, he was not in good hands in heat. <laughs> <laughs> he was not. Uh, Kevin Gage as Wangro, Tom Sizemore as Michael Chirito, John Voight as Nate, Danny Trejo as Trejo. I love that they just kept him as Trejo. Mm -hmm. They didn't change it. Diane Venora as Justine Hanna. Ashley Judd as Charlene. She's Val Kilmer's wife. Mikkel T. Williamson, a.k.a. Bubba from Mm -hmm. Forrest Gump. Plays Sergeant Bobby Drucker. William Fickner is Roger Van Zandt. Nellie Portman plays Lauren. She's the daughter of uh, Justine Hanna or like the pseudo stepdaughter to... 
to Al Pacino's She's character. always the actor that I forget is in this film, and I've seen it like ten times in the past like couple years. I always forget she's in it, and that's not to say she's bad, but it's just like the cast is so sizable, and it's like wow, someone of her stature was in this that young, and it's just like man had a knack for just picking out talent i guess you could say it's just it's so weird because she's barely in it but the two or three scenes she's in it, it's like it's kind of a big deal mm-hmm. hank azaria is alan he's like the lover of ashley judd and then jeremy pivens is in it for like a micro minute as dr <laughs> bob uh, he's all upset he has to give his shirt away to robert de niro uh, <laughs> that is who i've listed here i'm sure i've missed other people anybody want to shout out very quickly that i've missed no i think you hit i think you hit all the uh the heavy hitters there um Everybody's good in this movie. I mean, like, not good. Pretty much everyone's great, and we'll also talk about that later, but not not a single miscast. Not, I 100% agree with you on that. Budget of $60 million, box office gross of $187 million, Rotten Tomato score, critics, 87%, audience score, 94%, consensus, though Al Pacino and Robert De Niro share but a handful of screen minutes together, Heat is an engrossing crime drama that draws compelling performances from its stars and confirms Michael Mann's mastery of the genre. Nate, critics 87, audience 94. Any thoughts on these two scores? Yeah, so I got some thoughts on the critic score. Now, I know 87. <laughs> I know 87. That's pretty certified fresh. But I will say I do not think that that is a testament to like how good this film is and also just the fact that it's represents kind of a peak of crime genre slash heist filmmaking you really just don't see films like this anymore and i mean you argue never saw them before that too but i would also like to point out that this film was nominated for zero academy awards and batman forever and babe pig in the city i think was the second or the first one whichever one both were nominated for multiple Academy Awards. So I'm glad you brought that up because I thought to myself, well, I'm sure Heat was nominated for like sound mixing or sound editing or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. And then I saw I had none. I was like, what on earth? I know. Yeah, Babe, I think it was the first Babe. I think that was a Best Picture nominee that year. It was. That must have been a strange. That was a strange Oscars (laughs) year. I mean, I love Babe. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if it's a Best Picture worthy movie, but I mean, I guess that's a. Another conversation we'll we'll need to have together. <laughs> Clearly, um, I you make a good point. I think that uh, the eighty seven percent is not reflective of how good this movie is, nor how important this movie is. Um, you mentioned something about we probably haven't seen a movie like this since it's it's a release. Mm-hmm. I mean, the closest I can think of is the intro to the Dark Knight, which is obviously yeah, a huge riff on this movie. For sure. And they even cast William Finkner in the bank scene. Exactly. And I and I had this conversation with Ren on our Dark Knight episode. I, I honestly think that this had to have been an homage to uh, yeah. Michael Mann's Heat. In a little of the research I did, Nolan cited it as like his main influence on Dark Knight. Yeah. So casting Fickner in that beginning scene of the Dark Knight, when Fickner's not in the movie at all, besides mm-hmm. that point... It feels like a clear, like, nod to Michael Mann. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but that's just the beginning of Dark Knight. And there are, there are shades of it in the rest of Dark Knight as well. But I don't think we've seen a movie like Heat mm-hmm. since its release. No. Will we ever? I'm not sure. Maybe if Michael Mann makes Heat 2, maybe we would. But, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll get more into the critic score and the consensus uh, a little bit later. Let's jump into The More You Know. 
I wrote down a few facts here about heat that I found very interesting. Right. We might have some overlapping ones, so I'll bring up the first one. And that's uh, rather than dubbing in the gunshots during the bank robbery shootout, Michael Mann had microphones carefully placed around the set so that the audio could be captured live. This added impact to the scene because it sounded like no other gunfight we'd ever seen before. I mean, we're going to talk about this scene later. I know we are. Oh, yes. Yes, we are. But <laughs> this scene and the fact that it sounds like I, I recommend everybody out there, if you haven't seen Heat, somehow find a way to watch it as loud as possible without getting in trouble mm-hmm. because you'll really get the full extent of how insane this scene is. It's on. It's unreal. And um, I had this in my facts, too, just because it's always it's so incredible to me that more people don't do this. And I'm sure other yeah, people have yeah. done it. But it no, no movie do guns sound like this. I mean, any time a gun shoots uh, in this film, like I feel like I'm getting kicked in the chest. Like it is, yeah. it is just so loud and in a good way. Like it feels so visceral, almost like journalistic, in that you're there and your people are actually shooting at each other. Like it's sensory overload in the best way. The thing about this scene and this fact is that it sounds so incredibly different. Because we're so we're not used to this, right? Mm-hmm. We're so used to the dubbing of the sound in post production and putting the sound in and whatnot that when we hear the sound in this particular scene, it sounds so different. It almost doesn't feel real because we've been so conditioned mm, to what movie guns sound like. So when you hear this, it sounds weird. Like I remember watching it the first time, like that sounds kind of weird. Yeah, but that's just actually how it sounds. And like I've been so conditioned growing up watching mm-hmm. movies to you know movie sound gunshots that I'm not realizing like. This is for real. This yeah. is what it actually would sound like if I was on the streets of LA and someone mm-hmm. was shooting and all the, you know, the echoes and the ricochets. You're right. It's incredibly visceral. It's one of my favorite facts about any movie ever. It's Agreed. Just incredible to read and like it's it's really just a testament to man. I guess an, a little extra fact to this. The studio was still like when they were going to editing, they were still going to dub the audio. And when man was supervising it, he was like no 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 this does not sound right at all like we it sounded like so different when we were there and so they just like well let's just go to the authentic audio and they listen and like yeah that's way better so they just chose it so like they had both planned because i guess it was just so different they weren't sure what they were going to do and testament to man again deciding like no that this is what we need to do exactly i mean this is the genius of man uh, first-hand example of why this movie is so good it's because he made the right decision Mm mm-hmm he made this, you know, decision to use real sounds, and and man, it works. Um, <laughs> hopefully, I don't say man too often. Well, to confuse everybody. But yeah, don't uh, if you want if you're playing a drinking game at home, uh, don't take a shot every <laughs> time we say man because uh, that's going to be a lot, and we don't want to be liable for any yes, injuries. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's my first fact. What's the fact that you have written down? Yeah. So um, one I thought that was really um, interesting is that they filmed at 65 different locations in LA and they didn't use a single soundstage. So every single scene is shot on location, which for a three hour movie that has a $60 million budget, that just doesn't happen. Like movies yeah. are not there. There's rarely a movie where not even just one scene, like where they're driving or something is not on a soundstage to, you know, just for the safety of the people involved and also just convenience. But one thing man's always talked about is that when he was young, he would simply just drive around cities just because he got a thrill out of it. Just like driving over bridges, seeing neon lights reflect over puddles of water. Like he just had a knack for this. And he said in different interviews, like what I didn't know 
even though I didn't know I wanted to be a filmmaker, was that when I found out I wanted to be a filmmaker, I had been scouting locations my whole life. So he's like got this whole city mapped out in his head and he's totally got all this visualized. So I just found that just crazy impressive. Yeah, I think that if people out there listening, they don't really understand how maybe how movies are made. But the fact that having 65 locations filmed on location is an anomaly. We, I mean, movies just don't do that. I mean, for mm-hmm. budgetary reasons, for convenience, like you said, for safety. But again, it's just Michael Mann taking it to the next level to really make this as kind of real as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not just uh, your typical heist thriller. Yeah. It's it's more than that. So the, the one fact I wanted to bring up for my last fact, in June 2002, the scene involving the shootout after the bank robbery was shown to United States Marine recruits at... Uh, San Diego, my hometown, <laughs> uh, as an example of the proper way to retreat while under fire mm. as well. Val Kilmer was thrilled to learn that his uh, his reloading and his rapidly changing of his magazine is regularly shown to Marines as uh, an example of how to perform uh, the action properly. I know we're talking a lot of fun facts about the shootout scene, but it's that great. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, again, more and more knowledge that we're learning that this is uh, not just like a, it, it's a chaotic scene, but it's like a perfectly planned chaos. It's it, oh, it yeah. is, uh, meticulous at every detail is planned. I mean, these guys trained and trained and trained. Um, and again, this fact is another testament to how real it is. I mean, we have mm-hmm. they're showing this film to Marines. That's how you know that this is the real deal. I don't know if you have this fact written down or not. No, I ha- I didn't have it written down. But um, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that before. And that's just such a cool fact. And the fact that Val Kilmer is like most thrilled about that part of his performance <laughs> is like, not that he's bad, he's great, but like, that's his like biggest compliment. I guess one last brief thing that I'll say for my last fact that relates to yours with Val Kilmer, he wasn't the main choice to play Chris and he was filming, uh, ironically, the Oscar nominated Batman Forever at the time. Um, <laughs> and so his scenes... Uh, as Chris were filmed in between his days on set as Batman Forever. So both those films were filming uh, at the same time. And he was doing both, which I just find genuinely impressive (laughs) to switch from Batman to playing Chris on the fly, pretty much. 1995 was a big year for Val Kilmer with this movie and Batman. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have more Val Kilmer thoughts for later. All right. For sure. So we'll we'll get into Val Kilmer definitely later. Let's jump into the best scenes of the movie. I'll bring up one scene right off the bat. Uh, let's talk about the introduction to this movie. 80 seconds left! Get back. Get back! Get back! Hey, Slick. You see that shit coming out of their ears? They can't fucking hear you. Cool it! What a way to open this movie. I mean, kind of prepares you for yep. what you're in store for. Uh, I thought to myself when I first watched this, will this be like the height of the movie? Will mm-hmm. we not see anything as cool as this? I was very wrong, to say the least. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever seen a cooler person in a hockey mask in my entire life, and I'm a big fan of the Mighty Ducks, so yeah. uh, that was interesting. I love everything about this intro. I think it really sets up what we're in store for in this movie. Each character, the meticulousness of everybody, how everything's planned to a T. Mm-hmm. I want to know your thoughts on the beginning of this movie. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's one of my favorite introductions to a film ever and obviously we're going to be gushing a lot about this movie but just the boldness to throw you right in with like really no pretext you're kind of just in this world and you're getting snapshots of all these characters 
and you're kind of like, oh, wait, what's happening here? And then it all converges when that semi crashes into the truck. The sound it makes, like, oh, my goodness, back to the sound. Like, <laughs> it is so loud. It is like you just got run over by a truck. I can't imagine seeing it in a theater. Yeah, I mean, it sets everything up. And it also shows you that these guys are for real. Like, we talk about what we're probably going to talk about Rangro later. They set him up as this kind of wild card. He's like, oh, he's making a move. Had to get it on, man. Like, as he shoots a guy <laughs> in the face um, at point blank range when he's just an innocent there. And so it's like, yeah, these guys are bad people, you know, like it establishes that right off the bat. And I feel like if you don't have that context, you know, you might find yourself rooting for them too much. Now, I still find myself rooting for De Niro in the film sometimes, but it still has a little check and balance there, which I think is needed. So you you kind of perfectly segue into what I wanted to say is that the first characters you meet in this movie aren't really the protagonist to an extent, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether or not there's a clear protagonist movie is up for debate but typically in a movie you're introduced to you know the quote-unquote hero or the person that we're supposed to be yeah. uh supporting or following but in this movie we're thrown in the midst of a, a heist prep and it's you know the robbers and they're not bad guys like you said but they are bad guys you know the beginning man is able to kind of establish that even within the bad guys there's bad guys and mm-hmm. that's you know that's Wangro and he's the wild card who shoots yep. the guy who's clearly layers not doing them. anything exactly he's giving layers to the bad guys which i immediately love you know it's not clear who i need to support cuz like mm-hmm. you i also at times am rooting for de niro and the crew because ultimately they're they're there to steal money but they're not trying to kill people but then they don't hesitate if they have to exactly it's made very evident in the beginning they don't want to kill them Wayne Grove goes wild, he does, but they do the things they need to do. And so they are bad people, but like you said, there are layers to it. And that's, to me, it's, again, not just your uh, good cop, bad guy type mm-hmm. of movie. There's a lot more layers to it where, yeah, I, I question myself sometimes because the whole end of the movie, I'm like, oh, come on, De Niro, just escape, just leave. <laughs> and so come I'm kind of sad when he doesn't. The heat's around but... the corner, go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I love this uh, this scene a lot, and that's why I, I wanted to bring it up as one of the, the better scenes in the movie, for sure, uh, or my, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. What's one scene you wanna you wanna discuss? Obviously, we've talked about the shootout scene a ton, and so I won't mention that one more than just it's one of my favorites. We've we've gushed about that. Well, if you want to, I'm I'm gonna bring it up. So if you're not gonna bring it up, I'm gonna bring it up. Well, here, yeah, you you can bring that up. <laughs> All right, let's talk the bank robbery, the shootout. I'm gonna ask you just very straightforward: Is this the best shootout sequence in the history of cinema? Yes, I think that's. Yeah. An unequivocal yes. <laughs> and I took some time thinking about this. I didn't just go off the cuff and like ignore everything. I, I tried mm-hmm. to think about the movies. I Googled some things. There are a lot of great shootouts in there in history. Some are over the top or intentionally over the top and cheesy, like The Matrix um, or yeah. The Boondock Saints or mm-hmm. Desperado. All oh, very God, fun. Saints. <laughs> yeah, I love The Boondock Saints as, as cheesy as it is and as, as over the top their shootouts are. Still love it. Face Off, got some great ones. Face Off. You know, there's a lot of great shootouts. The thing about a lot of shootouts to me, though, in movies is that they're, they're typically short, short and sweet, mm-hmm. two minutes, three minutes. Everybody shoots, they're dead, or, yeah. you know, someone walks it can, away. It can become mind-numbing. Exactly. But what I love about the bank robbery to shootout scene in this movie is that it's a solid, like, 11 minutes of 
pandemonium mm-hmm. but it's such a beautifully choreographed pandemonium i know we've talked about how real it is yes i, I sure. can't stress enough <laughs> how real the realism behind it makes it so great i think the closest to me and this is maybe just me thinking you know without doing a lot of research but the next closest to me is um i really enjoy the shootout in hell or high water which kind mm. of has some similarities in the sense that it's pretty long yeah it goes pretty drawn out you know starts out on the road and it goes into the mountains and it's it's a pretty it's a pretty wild scene i really really like it it doesn't Mm -hmm. come close to this scene but in terms of another shootout scene i think is very uh very well choreographed and very well thought out i really enjoyed that shootout scene in that movie but i just had to know if you think it's unequivocally the best shootout scene in the history of cinema absolutely i know we're kind of just going all over it but i mean it's (laughs) It, it is really that good. I mean, like I mentioned before, like the action is so frenetic and it just, it feels journalistic because it's like a combination of POV shots, wide shots, handheld shots, steady cam shots, and it's back and forth between the cops and the robbers, Pacino, De Niro, Kilmer. I mean, it, it just is so incredible. The editing is pitch perfect because like one dumb cut or bad shot you could get so confused as to where the action is but the spatial recognition you have just as a viewer because it's so well put together like you're never lost in terms of where Pacino is is when he's running away or where De Niro are De Niro and his crew is in relation to Pacino and all that so and of course it's capped off with one of the coolest shots in the film when Tom Sizemore picks up uh, a child to use as a human shield so yeah. you know real piece of real piece of shit that guy um <laughs> and then pacino just takes aim one shot right to the head drops kids okay i mean it's like it's just so incredible <laughs> in that moment so it really is again i know we said testament 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 to man but i think the restraint behind this scene is is something mm-hmm. that we should really applaud because it'd be easy to get carried away with the scene to to do some crazy yeah. shots or try to make it look edits. too cool you know it's not too exactly cool. <laughs> it's easy to over stylize and i think that mm-hmm. a lot of directors may get caught up in that and that's you know some it works for some movies and works for others or it doesn't work for others but i think that this could have easily have gone the wrong way but every decision made was just perfect and that's why yeah. this scene is continuing to be praised as one of the best scenes in uh shootout scenes in, in history of movies so Okay, Absolutely. we've talked about the shootout scene a lot. What's one scene you want to talk about that's not the shootout scene? Yeah, one scene I want to talk about, which is also almost as equally talked about, is the diner scene. You know, I chased down some crews, guys just looking to fuck up, get busted back at you. You must have worked some dipshit crews. I worked all kinds. You see me doing thrill seeker liquor store holdups with a Born to Lose tattoo on my chest? No, I do not. Right. I am never going back. Then don't take down scores. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me. So you never wanted a regular type life? The fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games? It's two of the greatest actors of all time dialoguing on screen for the first time. Um, like they were in The Godfather 2 together, but they didn't share the screen. And, you know, it's a thing that is consistent in man's films, even in his debut, Thief, um, where he will stop the film and its narrative basically dead in its tracks to 
focus on humanizing and developing the main characters of the film. So like in Thief, it was between um, Frank and his love interest. And here it's between, you know, De Niro and Pacino. And we, you know, we learn that they're very much not that different from each other. They're they're opposites of the same coin. They both uh, kind of have a self-reflexive nature that they recognize that their career choices are going to lead to them dying unhappy and, you know, probably too soon. But they can't reckon with like they can't not do it it's who they are that they have to you know Pacino like I have to track down guys like you I'm on my third marriage that's failing like he doesn't care he just has to do it De Niro's like this is the only thing I know how to do it's the only thing I want to do even though I know I may die pretty much and it's like the dialogue is short it's sweet they seem like they get pretty chummy there for a minute and then you know they lead into it the conclusion of the conversation where like Pacino just goes brother you are going down like you know, it's <laughs> oh, just wow. that, was, that was a really impressive Pacino impression. <laughs> well, spot you know, I, on, spot I on. I might, I might, I might ad lib one or two more as we go on, but yeah, I could talk <laughs> about this scene for hours, and there's a reason. I mean, it's it's incredible. the The whole plot stops to watch two actors just throw fastballs and showcase why they're two of the probably ten greatest screen actors of all time. Yeah. So you said a lot here that I'm gonna have to try to address the first thing i want to address is I, I i really should have made a bet with myself at what point in the podcast you're going to mention thief because i thought to myself to mention <laughs> thief maybe within 10 minutes or maybe yeah. within 30 um i, I had really to restrain sure. myself <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad you brought it up um i watched thief for the first time recently I, we've talked about it just recently you and i mm-hmm. but i watched it just a couple days ago and i absolutely loved what i watched and i'm excited to watch it again but your your analysis of the scene is, I mean, I can't really top it or add much to it besides saying you're right and you've said everything <laughs> I wanted to say. I love that well, thank man you. <laughs> has, I mean, it, I love everything about the scene because like you said, it, it does stop kind of what we've built. You know, we built up to this heist kind of thriller action movie and then all of a sudden it's like, let's take a pause and let's meet these two people and yeah it does humanize the two people that we've been following and we get to know more about them and like you said opposite sides the same coin for sure they both have realized that they can't do anything else this is what they're born to do he's born Mm -hmm. de niro's born to take scores and Pacino is born to take those guys down and Mm -hmm. they've acknowledged that to each other and there's almost like a mutual respect between them because of that yeah and that's why this scene is so great the tension is is great you know at any point they could have taken out a gun and killed each other or arrested him but you know none of that happens but yeah still the tension is there you don't know what's going to happen it's still filled with that um that tension and I, i just i love everything about this scene it was my third scene i listed here so i think it's perfect and it leads into another great Pacino line, who, might I add, is just on 100 the entire time. More like 110, uh, actually. Like, De Niro's pretty reserved. But yeah. Pacino is just off the rails. And it's like, every line he says is a gem. But, like, he gets back to the precinct. And they're like, he's like, okay, like, where's Macaulay now? And then they're like, we lost him. He lost the tail. And he's like, what? I had coffee with Macaulay a half hour ago. And it's like, <laughs> and it's just all this stuff. And it's, it's just so good. Man, like doesn't hesitate to blend a little bit of humor into, you know, it's a serious drama, but he, he he allows us to have fun. So I had a question written down and I took it off my notes, but now I'm just going to ask you, what's, what's Pacino's best line in this movie? 
All right, so his best line, there's no debate, and I'm accepting no substitutes. It's when he walks into Hank Azaria's office. Oh, thank you. He's like, I never should have got mixed up with that, you know, whatever. And uh, he goes, because she's got a... And then he slams the table. He's like, she's got a great ass, and you got your head all the way up. And I'm trying not to spike the audio too much, but that scene is so hilarious. And... The reaction on Azaria's face is just so priceless because Pacino improvised the line and you can kind of tell yeah. in his face because he goes, she's got to, and then he like pauses and then says the rest of it. And Azaria's just looking at him dumbstruck, like, uh, what is, what, am, what is happening right now? And, yes. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree. There is no other quote by Pacino this movie that is better than this particular moment. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it the first time. I was Hank Azaria, completely <laughs> dumbstruck by what just happened. I did not expect Pacino to go that way. Um, because he is at like 120. Mm-hmm. At, at level 12 of 10 in this movie. Uh, Probably doing bumps of coke times. between takes. <laughs> Probably- ha- I mean, like, come on. I just don't know how you get to that level. Yeah, Shades of Scarface in this one where yes. he's just at all levels and it's great he has a lot of great lines and, and he, this is the same scene where he he does the classic who al joke which we'll get into <laughs> a second as well oh man but yes this is the quote of the movie i mean there's a lot of great quotes in this movie but i love this particular one so uh props to you for not only bringing it up but for doing it uh you are oh, absolutely this podcast indefinitely forever <laughs> <laughs> so my bad Pacino impersonations are welcome anytime, anywhere. Exactly. Always, always, always. Uh, so these are, we've mentioned all the scenes that I really love. Any other scene you want to talk about quickly before we move on? Yeah, so like like you said, I love this movie. I don't want anything to change. I could, I could watch any scene anytime. But I think another amazing scene is the climax uh, at the airport. It's just beautiful. The Moby score is incredible. Like, Moby has aged really well, honestly. Like, I know he was a joke there for a while in the early 2000s because people like Eminem <laughs> or whatever making fun of him. But his score has is just gorgeous. And I don't want to spoil the ending if you haven't seen it. But then why are you listening to this? If you haven't seen it yet, go watch Heat if you haven't already. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> exactly. so I'm going to actually, I, you know, I have to talk about the that Do moment. Um, yeah. De Niro and Pacino, the plane comes. Pacino literally comes around the corner. So he's literally the heat around the corner. And De Niro is distracted by these lights at the air at the airport, which just look incredible. Um, the the resolution on that is just gorgeous. And Pacino kills him, and he walks up to him and just holds his hand, and the movie ends. It's like, God, like can you get more human than that? Like it's just, oh, it's so incredible. Like, yes, the the law won and the criminal was killed, but it's like, golly, man does such a good job of making De Niro's character such a rounded and multifaceted person like you generally care even though yep i don't want to say he got what he deserved that's not i wouldn't say that's necessarily true but like justice was served i guess exactly man's been preparing this whole movie de niro's still kind of a good bad guy even at the big bank robbery shootout scene he is very vocal and saying we don't want to hurt any of you we just Mm -hmm. want your money or not even that. We want the bank's money. We don't want yeah. your money. Your, your money is insured, insured by the federal government. <laughs> like it, it, he per- says it. <laughs> Perfect. So even when he's robbing banks, he is making sure that people aren't hurt. He tells everybody, if you have a heart condition, lean up against the wall. It's like this guy still cares, mm-hmm. even though he's robbing banks. 
He wants a relationship with this girl. He wants to move on. He has to do one last thing before leaving. So when he does die at the hands of the law, although the law has won, there's still a very human element to it because we've been conditioned to like De Niro because we know ultimately he's kind of a good guy. Um, yeah. So his demise isn't like we're not happy about it, like you said, mm-hmm. or like I said earlier. I kind of wanted De Niro to escape, mm-hmm. you know. So I kind of wanted. Him, I didn't want him to maybe kill Pacino, but I would have been fine if he would have mm-hmm. hopped in a car and got down on PCH yeah. and just <laughs> headed to Mexico or something. Exactly. Like and it ties back into the diner scene too, because Pacino even said he's like, you know, chummed it up like a couple of regular fellas, and you know, he goes <laughs> on and he's like, if I got to take you down, I'm not going to like it but I will do it. And it's exactly yeah. what happens at the end. He feels remorse for doing it, but he had to do it. He had no other choice. Exactly. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'm sure we could spend the next half hour talking about scenes you love and heat. I mean, I'm down for a shot by shot breakdown. <laughs> One pod <laughs> Maybe per shot. Be a, we'll go for like an anniversary of heat. And it's 95. <laughs> I'll, I'll hit you up at 2025. And we'll, yeah. there we uh, we'll go. do a, a, a breakdown at that point. So let's talk the flaws. I have flaws. What are they? Oh, I don't know. I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Occasionally I'll hit somebody with my car. I know you and I love this movie. I know you really love this movie. So maybe finding a flaw I don't know. is difficult. Could you, could you tell? <laughs> <laughs> I could kind of tell. Kind of tell. So instead, here's what I did. I pulled flaws from other people okay. um, that have seen this movie. And Interesting. So here, here is a flaw from one of the top critics on Rotten Tomatoes. This is their their very brief consensus. I, this is not their full review, but mm-hmm. the sentence that Rotten Tomatoes pulled for me to reread. Okay. Quote, So why doesn't Heat, with its elaborately staged, tautly edited robberies, its killer cast, edgy score, and elegant cinematography offer more satisfaction? Question mark. It's the script. Stupid. Stephen Rea of the Philadelphia Inquirer. I have one thing to say to you, Stephen Rea from the Philadelphia Inquirer. <laughs> You're stupid. Um, <laughs> no, I, mean, I, I, I don't want to insult to him, but basically he spends the whole par- the whole sentence there describing what makes the film awesome. And then none of those things can be good if the script is bad. I'll be on. Like, yeah. I don't yeah, understand this- like how the performances can be great, but the dialogue be terrible. Like if the dialogue's terrible, it's very, very, very difficult to almost have a good to have a good performance like yeah i don't know that makes no sense to me so that's steven rea we have another quote it says quote as he progresses it's cessational look pale beside storytelling weaknesses that expose more soulless aspects of this cat and mouse crime tale janet maslin of the new york times so two quotes from two top critics basically saying the story and script itself is mediocre or average uh my thoughts i I mean I think like you, you made a good point. If if all these other aspects of the movie are great, how could the script or story itself be poor? It's kind of a kind of a weird like you can't yeah, like, have it both ways. You can have a beautifully shot film, and it the script be poor. Basically, look at any Nicholas Winding Refn film outside of Drive, really. Yes, um, yeah. But I don't. I just don't really get it. Like to say the story has no soul is I think kind of asinine because. The whole film is literally about establishing the lives of these cops and robbers as opposed to the plethora of action crime films that is simply there to give you violence and it's non-characters just firing away at each other. And it's like, you don't care. It's cool, but you don't necessarily care. 
You know, it's yes. it to me it is arguably the most soulful crime film I've seen, or at least one of them. I just don't get that at all. I mean, obviously it's subjective, search subjective opinion, but of course, of I course. just I I can't see that even when I'm trying to be as critical as possible. Yeah, and I 100% agree with you. I feel like the crime heist thriller genre is packed with hundreds and hundreds of movies that are just pure action, pure crime and violence for violence mm-hmm. sake. And some of those are a lot of fun and some of them are, you know, fun to watch, but I think that what makes or what differentiates Heat from other movies is because it does have a lot of soul to it. Yeah. Besides the fact that it's, you know, more realistic or it's, you know, a little bit more tightly edited and all that stuff. I think that, uh, yeah, the movie has a lot more soul than what you would see in a typical crime thriller movie. And it's so, it's kind of weird to me that these two people have brought up the fact that it doesn't. I, I don't know. You know, like you said, he tweets her own, but I, I would also disagree with these two to critique. For sure. Question. What kind of bear is best? That's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Let's move away from flaws. Let's not talk okay. about why people don't like this movie. Let's because we love it. Yeah. Let's move to some more fun stuff. Okay. I've written down some questions here that I'm dying to know. Alright. The first one being on a scale one to ten, Nate. Okay. How much does it anger you that there's a movie called The Heat with Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy? Okay. <sighs> Maybe like a six, because I actually think that movie's not bad. I think it's pretty good. Okay, okay, that's fair, that's fair. But, come on, you gotta pick a better title yeah. than that, because... That's okay, that's that's the point. I think it's less because the movie exists, like, sure, I, I and I'm gonna admit this to you right now and to all our listeners, I love Melissa McCarthy. I don't mm-hmm. care what she's in, I think she's so funny. She's, she's, she's very talented, very funny. I think she has great comedic timing, I just love her delivery and all her jokes, I'm a big fan of Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, her movies might stink. Some of them might stink, but I like a lot of her stuff. The Heat itself is a fine movie. Like, I don't not enjoy it, but mm-hmm. come on. You have to call it The Heat. It just, it just feels like they could have done something different. Yeah, I don't know. And it it definitely gets confused sometimes. <laughs> this is such a trivial nitpick, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't like it because, I mean, most people probably my age, since I'm a little younger than you, like when I say like, oh, yeah, the heat heat the movie and they're like oh yeah that that one the Melissa McCarthy one I'm like exactly that's my issue (laughs) that that's my my issue is that when I go on Letterboxd and I type in heat if I see the Sandra Bullock one first I'm like come on that's not what I'm trying to to look up right now like let's let's not go that way (laughs) so okay so you're about a six I'm about like a seven it just bugs me that it's okay what you mentioned you know a lot of people who are maybe not be into films as much as us Mm -hmm. but uh they know of the heat may not recognize the greatness of heat hey do you do you think robert de niro will ever win another oscar honestly i really don't i don't for a couple reasons one because he gave a performance in the irishman and didn't win it's true true. and i understand why not but like i think he also pissed off the academy a little bit he made some comments about them not relating to him not winning but just um among other things and they're they're a group that can get their feelings hurt so that's for sure i don't think he'll win another one but i'm sure he doesn't really care he's too busy making war with grandpa i was going to say you think he'll win one for the war with grandpa too or (laughs) some type of grandpa iteration movie he's in the next scorsese film is it like the, the curse Lotus of the one. flower moon or something like that? Oh, flower moon. Yes. I know like flower something. something. I said Lotus. But yeah. I don't like know what his role will be. 
Um, I think he'll probably actually have a better chance if it's like a supporting role because typically those categories are less stacked and they seem to favor older established actors more. Like that's how Patino got his, you know, so yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. You know, I can see it happening one more time. If like you said, he takes a supporting role in a, you know, maybe a Scorsese movie or maybe some, you know, random movie that he is thrown into where he's obviously very good. I mean, he's Mm -hmm. one of the best actors of all time. So I wouldn't be surprised if he pulls one more in, but if he keeps making the grandpa movies, though, or some type of iteration of a grandpa movie, I'm not sure. <laughs> the Dirty Grandpa, War with Grandpa cinematic universe? Yeah, that's a weird cinematic universe. I'm not sure I want him to continue doing, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, I mean, he can keep going. If you've seen The Intern, the uh, Nancy Myers Anne Hathaway movie? I haven't. I know it's one of Tarantino's favorite films. Um, so... Also one of my mom's favorite films, which is an <laughs> interesting a uh, thing that her and Tarantino have in common. <laughs> is that a letterbox list? Do you have a list for like movies Tarantino loves and my mom loves? I would like to see like um, what movies. Well, are so far on it's list. just that one. Um, but <laughs> I can expand it. You know, uh, you might have to do some research on yeah. Tarantino's list. Um, yeah. So the intern I have seen. I saw it. Well, you know, like when it came out on like Blu-ray, I saw it. Mm-hmm. Didn't like it. I saw it recently again, and I liked it more. I have a lot of issues with some of the characters, though. Not De Niro. Mm-hmm. De Niro's great, actually. It's everybody else that's not great. I'm not an Anne Hathaway fan. I'm not afraid to say it. You know what? It, it, it's maybe not her fault. It's just... I don't want to give details away. Once you watch it, you know, let me know. We'll discuss why I have, I have a lot of issues yeah. with if it. If I check it out, but, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe there's an intern pod in the future. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we used to make a Nancy <laughs> Myers episode, and so we have to focus on all yeah. of them. But um, I kind of referenced this earlier. I wrote in my letterbox review that uh, this movie has the who, who, what are you now? That mm-hmm. that joke. Which movie do you prefer more? Heat. Who? 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 Were you a fucking owl? Or Wolf of Wall Street. Wake up, you piece of shit. Ow! Who's Venice? Huh? Who? 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 What are you, a fucking owl? Who uses the joke better? Wolf of Wall Street or heat okay if we're just talking about that i think it's really close because margot robbie's delivery of that in wolf of wall street is hilarious it's maybe one of the funniest combined with dicaprio's crazy coked out performance um (laughs) which you know intentionally so it is really funny one of the biggest laughs of that movie but i don't know man like i'm showing heat favoritism but it's the heat pod i'm not ashamed I yeah, think yeah. I prefer Pacino's delivery because it's just so off the cuff. And I feel like that was maybe unscripted. I don't know. I know what followed right after that with the, yeah. she's, you know. She got a great ass. And you got your head all the way up it. I just think the combination of those two hits better for me. But I don't know. I think it's actually a toss up. Yeah, I think it's a toss up too. I would probably lean... And we're, and we're talking very, make it very clear here. We're talking just delivery of the joke, not which mm-hmm. movie I prefer. But delivery of the joke, it's a toss-up, I agree. I lean just slightly the Margot Robbie delivery because it is very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Leonardo's DiCaprio, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio's reaction is, is really hilarious too. Uh, great 
great moment in that movie. <laughs> it's just, but yeah, it's it's a toss up. They're both thinking really about it. So maybe maybe <laughs> you know we've shown a lot of heat love. We can we can honor Margot Robbie here where she she yeah. gets the better who's who who uh, who are you with her an owl line award. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. There you go. We'll spread the love just a little bit. I'm sure she will appreciate it just as much as her Academy Award nominations. Let's form some ranks here. I have two things I want you to rank. I think you have some stuff you want to rank. Let's go yes, with you first. What are we? What are we? What are we ranking today, Nate? So I got a, I got some stuff prepared. There's a lot of like things you could throw heat in to rank. Um, greatest movies of all time is one, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, I think what we need to say, especially with man's commitment to L.A. as a city, what are your five favorite L.A. films? I'll, I'll let you start at five. You want to just go up from there? All right. So thank you for prepping me because I had a hard time narrowing it down, but I think I think I've done it. Okay. At five, I have La La Land mm. at number five. And now okay. I think it's important to note that I'm not simply picking movies that are set in LA, but more where LA is kind of like a its own character in the movie. Because yeah. I mean there okay. are thousands sure. and thousands of movies set in LA. But you know, I want to pick movies that where LA matters. Mm-hmm. So La La Land. That's my number five pick. Number four, I'm going to go Blade Runner. That's my okay. number fourth pick. The original Ooh, Blade good Runner. good pick. Number three, I'm going to go The Big Lebowski. That's my okay. number three pick. Number two, I'm going to say Heat. Don't hate me. Mm-hmm. And number one, I'm going to go Drive as my okay. five favorite la movies i'm not a big la confidential guy i don't know if it's on your list there's so many good options here there are a lot there are a lot so i'm sure i missed one i'm sure you'll mention one right now that'll be like well fuck yeah so i think how i looked at this is not necessarily like on my all-time ranking of films period do like where do these films shake out more so like how they use the city in the film and how it kind of represents the character of the city this is this is where i go so I got Inherent Vice at five. Okay, okay. Um, I think I just the way it represents seventies Los Angeles is great. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I got Chinatown at four. Yep, Chinatown yeah, is incredible. Yeah. Um, the less said about going into you know less about Chinatown the better, but it's great. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get it. Yeah, at three I have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. another film that just kind of captures the essence of that shift in Hollywood, which is why I find it so interesting other than enjoying the film, going from the end of old Hollywood into new Hollywood and kind of the friction against that and people left in the dust because of that. I just really yeah. find that interesting. Yeah, that was on my short list as well. And I'm going to go Heat at two as well, actually. Oh. Number one, I'm going to go Mulholland Drive. Because wow, all right. I think Mulholland Drive best encapsulates all the mystery of la and the mystique of it it's literally about a character like drawn to la for that reason it has crime it has comedy it has surrealism it has you know it has sex it has theater it has all that um yeah and it's about an actress so i mean i just think it's um one of the best and i do want to shout out to live and die in la i think to live and die in la maybe with subsequent re- rewatches would be included there but um, oh, I, don't, okay. I only saw it recently, so I don't want to let recency bias um, yeah, throw it I'm in totally just yet. That. But maybe if you ask me in like a couple months, it'll be in there. Have you been to L.A.? 
I have not. I've been to California, but I've San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been. Uh, oh. Haven't been to LA yet. So you're due for a Los Angeles trip, and when you come, you'll understand. If you drive around at nighttime, drive might make your top five. I'm telling you right now. When yeah. Driving around in LA, it is. Um, it feels like the movie Drive is sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. it, I mean, I guess it's a little bit louder. Drive is a little bit quieter. Yeah. There's a lot more traffic. <laughs> that's for sure. But. I can say this from personal experience. I went to I went to school in L.A. Mm-hmm. in college in L.A. So driving around at nighttime, it can feel pretty magical at times, and I think that's why I identify with drive so much. So hopefully, when you visit, you'll feel the same way. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought up L.A. movies because that was one of mine. So I have okay. a more less serious one, I guess. <laughs> uh, I want you to rank these movies by the worst ponytails on men in that oh my movie goodness because i think val kilmer's ponytail in this movie is the worst thing about val kilmer in this movie I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing with that ponytail van it looks so bad i feel like it's like the wrong era it's gotta cover up I his batman know. hair that's that's probably why i don't know i hate i just dislike it a lot but here are four other movies where the characters have terrible ponytails okay. and i want you to rank these solely on the ponytails not the movies okay okay we have val kilmer ponytail and heat Samuel Jackson's ponytail and Jackie Brown, mm. Tom Cruise's like top knot ponytail and Magnolia, <laughs> and Tim Robbins' ponytail and High Fidelity. Oh man! All all terrible, terrible ponytails. Which one's the worst, and which one is the least worst? Man, I don't. That is so hard. Um, <laughs> it's really difficult because they're all kind of an insult to the eyes, but. <laughs> I think I'm going to go the lowest. I'll put Sam Jackson and Jackie Brown because he's supposed to be a scumbag and also okay. supposed to be kind of a dork. He's not good at being a criminal. That's kind of the point. So yeah, the fact that point, he looks funny and like intentionally just, you know, is not cool as cool as he thinks he is. I think it actually fits his character, even though it is bad and funny when you compare it to what Sam Jackson's hair normally is typically is in the film. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. Or lack of. (laughs) But I'm going to go last for that. And then um, I'll probably just go Tim Robbins, High Fidelity, three. And then two, I got to go... God. I got to go Tom Cruise in Magnolia because, look, it's bad. It's terrible. (laughs) And he looks way better with his hair down. But another example of him, he is a prick. Like, that's his character. He's terrible. So... It fits. You look that, you're like, man, douchebag. So it does fit. Still terrible. Number one, I got to go Kilmer and Heat. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> it's really bad. Okay. I'm glad we agree. I actually like your list a lot to the point where I would agree with that. I actually maybe might swap. No, you know what? I think you made some really good arguments for Samuel Jackson's why mm-hmm. he was maybe not the worst of the, the bunch. But does... Does Hayden Christensen's ponytail in Attack of the Clones count? Is that a ponytail? I'm not sure if it's a ponytail. Or not. Um, I don't know what you call it, though. I mean, you know, if you, I'm a big Star Wars nerd too. So if you want to get into the details of like what that ponytail symbolizes, I don't have oh, a problem with it. Okay, okay. Is it like a thing where it's like they have to have it for like Jedi reasons? Yeah. Well, it's signifying that you're a Padawan and you're kind of like oh, I may okay, be way okay. off base, but I've always kind of interpreted it as like you're being restrained a little bit because you're still under you know your master's control, and then you eventually you cut that as a symbol you of you know hmm. becoming a master yourself. Okay. So, okay. 
All right. Well, that see, I, I wrote it down as like it's still corny though. So it's still it is corny. still super corny. I remember seeing that as a kid and thinking like, do I want that? I don't think I do. Like he's cool. But I don't <laughs> think I want that. I, mean, I definitely went through a phase of wanting the long braid. <laughs> so. Oh boy. Okay. Well, I think that's a really good ranking okay. of uh, bad ponytails in film history. That's pretty good for sure. Um, Anything else you want to rank before we move yeah, on? Yeah, I got one more, and I think this is important. Okay, go for it. I think this is an important one, and we can we can go through it quickly if you want. No, no, let's, let's take our time. I got to know your top five heist films. Oh, okay. How about you go first, and then I will... I'll go right after you so I don't make you mad. All right, so at number five, this will make happy. I'm going to go Drive. Drive is an excellent, excellent heist film. Number four, I'm going to go Thief, which is another man film. Um, it's his debut. Brilliant movie, and just... A great heist film. It's so so good. Number three, I'm gonna go Out of Sight. Um, Steven Soderbergh, George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez. Now a lot of people yes, when they think yeah, of yeah, Soderbergh yeah. and heist, they go immediately to the Oceans series. Now uh, Oceans Twelve is my six, but I gotta go give a nod to Out of Sight because it, I watched it for the first time early early this year. Like I think actually like the first day of January. I can't remember. And I watched it again three days later because. I just loved it so much. It is the chemistry that's off the charts and the heist of it itself is is great. It's a really, really like low stakes heist film, which is kind of what I like uh-huh. about it. It's not this grand thing. Number two, this may come as a little surprise on the Heat podcast. I'm going to go Heat at two. <laughs> it's, it's in my top five favorite films ever. So it no surprise might there. might have the same number one. Yeah. Maybe. What's number one for me, though, is Jackie Brown. Um, oh, okay. Interesting. I, it's a, definitely a heist film. And I know that's kind of a lot of people's least favorite Tarantino, but not for me. I think Jackie Brown is as perfect as they come. I watched it at the perfect time. I just had like a really, really impactful first viewing of that film. I don't know. I was just in the right mood and it stuck with me ever since. I watched it like three times a year. So that's my number one. And I I just think the heist at the end, the multiple angles of the heist and the whole plot kind of building to that and seeing it unravel and all the different facets of it is great. So that's my pick. I think Jackie Brown is super underrated, by the way. I think that your love for it is definitely warranted. I think there okay. are a lot of people out there who who may rank Tarantino movies, and if they rank Jackie Brown low, I, a part of me always thinks, have they actually seen Jackie Brown, or are they just putting it low because that's what they think? I don't know. Because I think if people actually take the time to watch Jackie Brown, they'd be surprised by how actually great it is. I could go eight hours on Jackie Brown <laughs> and my guy Max Sherry, but uh, I oh, won't. I'll save oh, that man. for the... Probably never Jackie Brown pod. Jackie Brown pod, but I'll save it. <laughs> hey, man, who knows? Who knows? Okay, top five. I'm actually going to go five. I agree with Drive at my number five. Um, okay. I can't put Thief on my list because of recency bias. I, I love that. it. I love it. I love it. One more watch, and then maybe it goes in my top five. Okay. But uh, I can't put it there yet. So I'm going to go Drive. Between Ocean's 11 and 12 and 13, I love 12. I'm mm-hmm. a huge fan of 12. I am a... Uh, uh, a supporter of 12, um, yes, a loyalist 12, a truther of 12. I love 12. So I would choose 12 over 11 and 13. Yes. This, um, I stand this. This is, this is good. Oh, I love everything about 12. So drive oceans 12. Um, as cliche or maybe as cheesy as it is, I really enjoy the Italian job remake. Okay. I think it's because it's more oh, of like a remake. personal, right. like, I mean, I, I, I'll be, I, mean, I haven't even seen the original, but I've, seen the remake i saw it at a prime time when i was young yeah and ever since then i've kind of just like it's been a pet movie just movie like a comfort movie man i like it's it a lot comfort movies a lot. have have their place exactly number two 
man, I think I'm going to go Inside Man in terms of heist. I really, Ooh, really love Inside great Man. Great pick. Great pick. That's on just on the outside of mine as well. I think Inside Man is overlooked a lot in the Spike Lee filmography in general. It's incredible. And big fan of Inside Man. My number one, though, which I thought you were going to have as number one, but I think okay. Inception is my number one, which I, I think it counts as a heist movie, right? It and is. Said, it's, it's definitely a heist film. It's definitely it's a heist dream film. dream heist movie? You know, maybe this is... This is my hot take. My, I don't know. My estimation of Nolan has gone down a little bit. Um, I've spent the last semester doing a this giant project on Nolan for my graduate class. Uh, I could got I got to pick the topic, and I don't know. Um, after going through his films, I, I still love it. I think it's great. It's still one of my favorite films. It's just it's not like my all time fave anymore. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Great film though. Good pick. I have no problems with that pick. Yeah. I think you know maturing, getting older, is realizing that Nolan. I love all of his movies to the extent that I enjoy them. But I think that as I've grown older and I've started to mature more, I think that the pedestal I had him as when I, I did when I was younger, in my early twenties, it's kind of definitely lowered a lot. Yeah. I like, and I like his films and I'll watch everything he puts out. But in terms of like great pieces of work, I, I think that um, yeah. a lot of people kind of are blinded by the, the, maybe the experience of it all. For sure. And yeah, it's less about the craft on display. The craft is great. I just I have problems with his representation, specifically of women. That's actually what I did this whole project on. And I think it actually yeah. actively makes his films hard to watch at times. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, I think Inception would be my number one in terms of heist, Inside Man, Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's 12, not 11. Mm-hmm. Heat oh, both good but 12 is better you're right yeah 12 <laughs> man i could watch that last scene with vincent cassell over and oh over and over again i have that french song on my workout playlist i work out <laughs> to it it is a banger highly recommend absolutely to work out to that well we have officially reached the end on our episode on heat what are your closing thoughts today nate what are your final takeaways your final statements on heat i got a little dialogue here that I, I have written out and because I, I wanted to say it right. I didn't want to mess it up. So oh, perfect. For me, Heat is the pinnacle of the crime genre, uh, in my opinion, just like crime in general. Everything is executed to perfection. Like it's three hours long, but it flies by. In my mind, the it's the best work of all involved, uh, including De Niro and Pacino. And it's also, for me, kind of the end of an era in Hollywood, because after this, man would look to begin deconstructing the crime genre uh, through a digital lens with collateral, especially with um, Miami Vice and Black Hat, kind of peeling back all the layers that he built up. All of which of those, I think, are good movies, and I love them, but Heat is kind of that peak. And then for De Niro, like after not getting nominated for both Heat and Casino in the same year, his career was never the center of movie-going culture again. Because w- like after that, he he still has a lot of great films. Obviously, he's a super prolific. He's been in hundreds of movies. But I just think his level of both, not, maybe not necessarily fame, but importance to uh, a film's success was just not the same. And with Pacino, it's kind of one of those late great performances for him. But yeah, I just think it's just a, a peak of pretty much everyone involved in it. Wow. I mean, you can just take over the podcast if you want. You want to just start uh, beginning and ending <laughs> well, all of them for me? That wasn't That'd my intent. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> I, had to, no. I had to get my thoughts out. No, no need to apologize. Excellent and eloquent. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, I think heat is good. That's, <laughs> that's going to be my <laughs> final comment. Heat is good. Uh, no, no, no. Heat is more than good. 
I think when it comes to crime, it is the pinnacle of any time of mm-hmm. any type of heist or crime movie. Heat is has set the bar. It is the standard. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever been met since then. And you know, I, I haven't seen every movie in the world. I've there's a lot of crime thrillers and heist movies I haven't seen um, that I'm sure I'll watch. But I, I will always compare it to Heat. And then thus far, nothing has really pale or everything's paled in comparison. Yeah. It's it's that good. And the more I learn about it, and the more I watch it, and the more I talk about it with people, the more I realize that you know maybe it's not just the pinnacle of you know crime and heist, but really of just action and and just film in general yeah it is um it's at a different level than most and i think that it's maybe not recognized as much as it should be but hopefully as we continue to talk about it and spread the good word of michael mann um and heat that people will start to kind of put it in its right rightful spot at the top of the uh absolutely food chain absolutely well nate thank you so much for being on today's episode for sure thank you for having me i love i love doing this man Chad movies with you is one of my favorite things. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back very soon. Tell everybody where we can find you and we can follow you on social media. Sure thing. I'm on Instagram uh, at, at allthingsreviewed underscore. I kind of run a film blog there, post reviews, post lists, just random stuff that I like talking about movies. Um, And yeah, that's about it. Perfect. Yeah, I do suggest everybody to follow him. Yeah, like you said, the reviews aren't just like my reviews of this movie is good. There, We actually get some depth and some meat to the reviews when Nate does a good review. So highly suggest <laughs> well, that you follow him. I appreciate that. It's high praise. It, it's true. It's true. Other than that, follow House of Cinema on Instagram, and you can follow us on Twitter and TikTok as well. Um, next week, I will be back with, with something, I think. Uh, I'm not sure yet. Uh, <laughs> April is going to be a celebration of A24 movies. And oh, uh, man. Be prepared for lots of lists and lots of rankings. Nate might be back talking about some movie. We haven't decided just yet. I'm, I'm always game. That will be something we'll be looking yeah, forward to. The Tusk time, so. pod is coming. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, the Tusk pod. <laughs> uh, maybe it'll be a waves pod. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel yeah. like, like bawling or sobbing. In, oh, God. I don't know. I don't know I could, if I could handle a waves rewatch right now at the same. point I am in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same exact way, but we'll, we'll figure something out. Uh, Nate, thank you again for, for being on. Absolutely. And um, I will see you guys next week. See you guys.